0: Welcome to Meet the Innovators at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. To introduce our guest tonight, please welcome our guest moderator, founder of Women Innovate Mobile, Kelly Hoey. Thank you. Um, Great to see everybody (laughs) tonight. And thank you for for the the clapping. We like that. We like it before. We like it afterwards. Um, My name is Kelly Hoey. Um, As I said, I'm one of the co-founders of Women Innovate Mobile. We are a New York uh, City-based um, startup accelerator, and we invest in uh, mobile startups that are mobile or mobile first in their focus, and there needs to be gender diversity on the founding team. Kind of makes sense from the name? That's what it is. We started this um, conversation series in the New York store, um, and really excited that this is the first time we're doing this conversation here in London. So we will get to it. We're going to talk about, um, and this conversation all started Ian on the end, um, and I have Chatting away, um, and technology—you know—making it easier to start businesses, but in some ways making it more difficult because you know it's nice to have a startup, but at some point you need to be a business and you need to be making money. So we thought, let's talk to some people who are doing that. Um, and I want to start first with Alex. A nice face. We're on camera. Remember oh, that um, this is going to be a podcast, so you know, kind of control the emotions. Control the emotions. So you are the founder of Hassle. Hassle Hassle.com, yeah. Used to be Tettle. Yeah. We were going to get to that on the importance of a name later. Um, And this is a free-to-consumer destination website pulling together buyers and sellers. Um, You're heading up marketing and operations. Yeah. I also read on your bio that you had something to do with US politics. (laughs) Do you want to explain your career path to starting a company?
1: Um, yeah, so I, I actually went to school in the States for, and lived over in Chicago for about five years um, and happened to work on a pretty well-known senator, now somewhat higher-up person's campaign when he was running for state senate.
0: Okay, there we go. Well, that's that's all. And where did the idea for Hassle come from?
1: Um, so I guess Hassel started when my co-founder, Jules, um, she wanted to pick pick up playing the piano again. She played it as a kid and she was living in London and thought, oh, it'd be a nice thing to do. And she tried to find a local piano tutor to come around, and give her a couple of lessons. And she just got so exasperated, trawling through out-of-date directory listings and calling people that were no longer doing it, having no idea, are they any good? How much do they cost and can I book them? Um, And the kind of, that was the seed of the idea and it just kind of spiraled outwards when we realized that actually if Jules was having problems contacting these um, providers, as we call them, then they were clearly having problems getting to market because they probably didn't know how to do AdWords or how to optimize a website. So this seemed to be a real inefficiency in the local services market and that's kind of where it all flowed from. So right now we just do domestic cleaners, vetted domestic cleaners, and you can book one in 60 seconds and we're looking to expand and as we grow.
0: Excellent, excellent. So, um, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. Our 21st century Sherpa.
2: <laughs> Slightly <laughs> embarrassing.
0: <laughs> Love the things I find in bios, but yes. Um, so, Forbes, described. Um, Courtney is the 21st century Sherpa. You're- um, For startups. The, for, uh, There we go. Let's make sure we defy our Sherpas. That could have been quite general. (laughs) don't want to be a general Sherpa, just a Sherpa for startups. So founder of Audience.io, transatlantic company designed to help uh, New York and London-based tech startups grow, um, grow audience. Um, Your career started in journalism.
2: Yes, it did. I was uh, number crunching at Forbes magazine, putting together the 400 Rich List
0: oh, that's, there's another conversation we should be having. Yeah, How to find investors, find that list.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, these, these were, you know, before we collected all of our data on computers. Um, um. We, were, we were going through filing cabinets probably as, as wide as uh, these rows here. Um, the DuPont family probably had its its own filing cabinet, <laughs> uh, you know, 10, 10 meters tall, or 10 feet tall. And, uh, you know, going through and finding out where the money went after all the divorces and the, killing each other. It was was quite Mm -hmm. exciting.
0: So this was like early data scientist. Yeah. No, it was (laughs) learning how to use spreadsheets, (laughs) basically. So you have taken London by storm. I won't go
2: into all the accolades that you have had. um, But what is an audience studio? Uh, audience development studio. So we look at audience development as sort of a, a blend of marketing and business development, and we concentrate on helping people build editorial products and build community through those products. It, it's like a new phrase. You know, I, I actually was awarded that phrase uh, when I was director of audience development at General Assembly, and my main job there was user acquisition and marketing partnerships. So I just kind of took that title and started a company out of it when I left. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I do want to come back
0: um, with you in terms of your business strategy with two newsletters. Some sure. of us can't handle one. You've got two. I so. actually run six. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> All right. We'll talk about that. A newsletter, a day, you know, what, take Sundays off from newsletters? Well, I have, I have a great team supporting me, so <laughs> it's not just me. All right. So... Next in the hot seat, my (laughs) good friend, Dr. Sue Black. Sue Mm -hmm. and I met on the British Airways flight from San Francisco to London, that hackathon at 30,000 feet. Your career started in academia and still have a foot in academia, but a little little foot foot there in academia.
3: Um, But tell us about Savify and what you're doing. Well, Savify, Savify is all about helping people to become tech savvy. So I think um, at an individual level, understanding technology really empowers people and there are so many opportunities in the digital world. Uh, so that's from the individual perspective. From the organisational perspective, if you've got a tech-savvy workforce, you know, going into the future, you're going to be much more successful. And also at the, you know, the level of the UK, uh, the level of a country, um, your economy is going to be better if you've got tech-savvy people, citizens living in your country who understand what the opportunities are now. And because we're now living in a global marketplace, you know, it's becoming more and more important to make sure that everyone is tech-savvy. So Savify is about helping that to happen, making it happen. So we're going to talk about
0: Tech Mums and your initiative there. Um, I want to take a step back. You're a computer scientist. Yeah. You are a mum. Yeah, um,
3: four children. It, one, At least one of whom is in the audience here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like a true mom, point out the kid, embarrass <laughs> them. Um, and um, one of the things which I also just want to raise in this is you were instrumental in saving Bletchley Park. And as a result of that, also, one of the fastest crowdfunded books ever. Yeah, I know, I
3: was you amazed. Say, yeah, she just says. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, well, it's a long story around Bletchley Park. I could speak for the whole hour on my own about uh, about all of that. But um, I first went up to Bletchley Park in 2003, found out um, that 10,000 people worked there when I thought it was about 50 old guys. You know, I was really shocked to find out it was 10,000 people. Um, and then found out that more than 50% of them were women. So that amazed me. I went away, tried to raise some... Um, funding to run the Women of Station X project, which we did. At the launch of that, we found out that um, Bletchley Park were having financial difficulties. So then I started a campaign um, to try and save it in 2008. And first of all, um, because I was head of a computer science department at the time, emailed all the heads and profs of computing in the country, asked them to sign a letter which we sent to the Times. Uh, then managed to get us on the Today programme and uh, BBC News, and but as so often happens with traditional media, you get a story in the media, and so it's news one day, and the next day, it's over. So then basically was looking around for ways to try and keep that going, keep it, keep the story alive, try and build a community of uh, uh, love, I suppose, around Bletchley Park, and uh, used Twitter um, really to kind of start. Uh, the kind of the, the big impact, I suppose happening, and just so many people got involved and went off and did their own things and it just it 's been incredible really
0: I say all the things you need to get a company launched save a park <laughs> start a company yeah, yeah. I like oh. a challenge <laughs> <laughs> that 's an understatement so. <laughs> that 's an understatement and our bloke at the end. <laughs> I'm
4: the token bloke. Yeah. The token
0: bloke. We like a token bloke on a panel. Um, so Ian and I, it is literally a year ago. Um, you know, like to have a election in the U.S. so that I can come to London. Um, we met at the FT Innovate a year ago, and you, um, you actually, you were interviewing me as part of a story you were doing. And mm. you writing, you write about trends and startups, technology, um, business. Um, I also note that you're driven by darn good coffee and ideas.
4: Yeah, I try to be. I must say, actually, I feel a bit like the imposter here because <laughs> I'm the only one that's not an entrepreneur. And it says here, "Meet the innovators," and I'm kind of like, I'm like the n- non-innovator. I kind of watch from the sidelines. But
2: <laughs> you've taught. I completely, too completely disagree
0: with that. <laughs> 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 well, th- well, that's how we'll take the take on Ian panel. That's what we'll do now. <laughs> so you've been writing since 2012 on the emergence of new businesses, mm. and what you know, sort of reflecting back. What have you seen and what are you seeing in terms of technology and technology um, being this
4: catalyst for business? I think it's just that tech is such a kind of democratizing force for anyone that's got an idea and wants to make it happen. You know, 10 years ago, you know, we're surrounded by a store of these great shiny objects, digital devices. And it just feels so democratizing that, you know, if you've got an idea and you've got broadband and you've got a digital device you can launch and test an idea super rapidly. The barriers to entry are so low. I was at the Financial Times Innovate conference today, and it was all talking about cloud computing, how now, uh, you know, if you want cloud storage and server space, it's nearly as cheap and ubiquitous as turning on a light switch. And that's just such a kind of game changer. And I think that's, that's the thing I take out from it, Kelly, from what I've kind of seen is just that, you know, I, I'm, I'm passionate about business, but. I'm not passionate about, you know, boardrooms and share prices and that side of business. That doesn't turn me on. But what I am interested in is, you know, kind of grassroots entrepreneurs. I don't know how much of that might apply to people sitting here tonight who, you know, have an idea and have got the guts to make it happen. And I think tech is a great enabler for that.
0: Well, I want to talk, you and I talked earlier. And I want to talk about some of the people that um, you have interviewed because there's, sort of a difference between tech enabling a business and tech being the business. Yeah. But let's pick up on something you've just said in terms of this democratization. And if you have an idea, you know, technology can kind of ignite it. So it's not just an idea you know, at your kitchen table, it becomes a startup. Mm. Um, what are the problems with that?
4: I think the, the inevitable problems are you know, that people tend to get in a situation where they want to launch and test Quickly, and I think I think the jury's out a bit about um, you know rapid execution. Is rapid execution always a good thing? Well, it could be in a competitive market where there's so many other people that are out there, and you want to think right. If you're about to launch a you know uh, a, t- a taxi app, and you know you know that Uber's about to launch in your market, then you want to be really fast. But I, I think sometimes I think there is something to be said for thinking about an idea and thinking it through. Before launching it, I don't think it's always about rapid execution. I don't know what everyone else
1: thinks. I think I have to completely agree with what you're saying. Um, We've got, I I can talk about the democratization because none of my team coded before we we started doing this and they're all self taught. But what I would say is we fell into the trap of building before we knew. And actually, our first product failed last year and um, we relaunched again this year when we actually looked at the data, we'd actually properly assess the market, and most importantly, we'd actually gone out and spoken to customers. You can manually engineer lots and lots of businesses without actually writing a line of code, and I think that's one of the biggest fail points of the current sort of tech scene in London is everyone's too quick to build.
2: Yeah, building off of that, you also have people that because the barriers are so low, they're not going and getting the experience that they need yeah. at whether it's a larger company or, you know, maybe a, a faster growth paced startup. And then, you know, really digging in, figuring out how it all works to grow a company and, and doing it on their own. Yeah.
3: Yeah, one one thing I found with um, Savify, I mean we were previously called the Go Foundation. So I was trying to help people get tech savvy and run that as a as a charity. And um, it was just so difficult. It, w- it was just ridiculously difficult to try and make what we wanted to happen, happen. And it was really kind of a chance tweet meeting with um, Bethnal Green Ventures, which is an a, um, incubator in London, uh, and having a chat with them, which somehow helped me to understand that we could actually set up as a business, that it, it wasn't really working as a charity, that we'd a, we could actually make what we wanted to happen more, uh, happen more quickly as a business. Um, and there, there are just so many things that I've, because I've been trying to do the same thing for quite a long time now, and it's very frustrating when you can't just get on and do it, but it's, there's just so much to learn. And it seems I've still got the same goal, but I've learned so much over the last mm. year or two. And and a lot of that is kind of, I don't know, sort of ducking and diving, weaving, just trying to work out, find your path through all of this kind of stuff that you you have to know and understand, all the, the finance stuff and the, the legal stuff. And it just goes on and on and on and on. You just have to kind of keep going. You know, I think... Determination is is the main thing that gets anyone anywhere. It seems so, to me, you know, just keep going.
0: Yeah, put, yeah. Don't think, yeah, get sort of head down and like yeah. a rugby scrum and keep keep going and pushing ahead on this. So part of this, is democratization, It's made it much less expensive to put up a website, to have a presence, to you know brand yourself, whatever you want to say. But there's still this, all this other pieces of. <laughs>
2: a business that yeah. has not changed. Yeah, yeah. legal and accounting would <laughs> be <being> like <laughs> the two more oppressive forces. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the new
0: Star Wars episode will have the um, the evil forces <laughs> of legal and accounting. <laughs> um, so let's talk about, with, with each of you, your business model and what it is um, you're doing in terms of, right, we'll start with you. You're here on my right.
1: Okay. Um, the, so... So, so the key, the key for us um, was that when we looked at the marketplace as it existed, um, you had stereotypical agencies like childcare agencies or cleaning agencies or th- any kind of agency that took this huge, like 30, 35% cut out of the work that they were given to people, which seemed massively excessive and, and kind of a waste. And then on the other side, you had these other people who were trying to make it on their own but didn't have the kind of skills or the spend power to market. So we said, like, how good would it be if we can find that that sensitive price point where... We take just enough that we can function, right, as a business, because we're not a charity, but not, not so much so that we get disintermediation, right. that, they, that they basically think that they're better off on their own, and we need to be fair. So what we were really trying to do was give value to both sides of the marketplace, transparency and efficiency and ease to the customer, and then more business, but, you know, valuable business so they didn't get the, think they were getting ripped right. off to the provider and give it on a constant basis. So our models very much, we take 10%, out of every hour sold. So if you think about cleaning, you pay 10, the cleaner gets nine, we get one. So it's very, it's very simple and it works at volume. Um, and, and you know, we're almost profitable, so it, you know, it proves the business model. And it also meant that from day one, we were making money. And I think that's really important, going back to this democratization our tech, a lot of people judge their success by can they raise money, do they raise money, do they have engagement, you know, how many people are using it. And actually it's great to have engagement, but if people are not willing to pay for that, then you kind of have a bit of a problem.
0: Yeah. Well, as I'd like to say to people, VC funding is not a revenue model. Yeah. <laughs> funny, funny how that, that is. But, you know, you, you're hit on a point and have everyone else chime in is, is that we live in this world where we as consumers expect things, we expect the internet to be free, Right? We expect use of sites to be free. You know, how do you how do you how can we run businesses if people aren't willing to pay? So where in the equation are we getting? You I know, think that, that's that, that really interesting.
3: Because well, the thing for us was working out where is the money going to come from. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that we wanted to do is target disadvantaged people and help them to realize the opportunities that digital, uh, digital can bring them. And so that's why we kind of started off as a charity, or trying to be a charity. Um, and, and it, was, it was just was really difficult to, to work out how to do that. And also, kind of, there was a realization point where I thought, well, does that mean now that we're just going to have to be going cap in hand all the time, asking people for money? And I really hate doing that. I don't know if, if anybody likes asking other people for money, but I really, I just don't like it at all.
2: Everyone on Kickstarter.
3: <laughs> <laughs> go to crowdfunding so No. <laughs> but it's, it's not a nice feeling asking yeah. people for money. And it's okay to do it a bit, but if you're a charity, then basically you've got to go out and Every- get that money in all the time. And uh, I think it was that kind of gradually dawning on me, realizing we could run as a business. But then when we decided we were going to run as a business, it was working out well, so who, who is going to pay? Who's right. going to pay us? And uh, we um, went to uh, schools and luckily found out that there are some budgets that schools can use for this kind of thing. So, so once we knew that, then OK, so it can be a business because we can run this. We can target the people that we want to reach. Um, and but they 're not necessarily paying, but there is a budget somewhere that can pay for it and so one of the key kind of lessons that we had a few months ago was that you have to talk to people, just talk to loads of people to find out what money is there and where is it and it 's not necessarily going directly to the people that you 're trying to target right. you know it could be it just could be somewhere else completely
4: that reminds me of a i mean it 's such an obvious point, but I think it 's worth making, which is you know, about the customers and finding your customers and finding paying customers when you're building something. Because I think the the great thing about the democratization and the barriers of entry being so low is, right, anyone can prototype something, start something, kick something off. It's like, you know, finding those paying customers. And as I say, it's an obvious point, but I was talking to Richard Moros who uh, is behind Moo.com, the business card printing people. And he was like, look, you know, if you, he, he gets pitched a lot, of, a lot of ideas and a lot of products. And what he says to people is, the advice is, he kind of does the analogy of if you're going to open a bar. If you're going to open a bar, you know, name the first hundred people that are going to drink there. And don't say, oh, they're this type of person and this type of demographic, but give me names. Who are those people? Where are, the pe- where are those people and where are those customers? And I know it's such an obvious point to make, but I think that you know, coming up with a great idea and then stitching it into the marketplace, what is it going to make resonate with those, you know, with those customers? And then you add in your point, Kelly, about Paying customers, and I think that's where, you know, the, the the web marketplace. You know, I think consumers need to understand that if they want quality products, they might have to pay for them. You know, um, because the, the businesses developing these ideas aren't charities. You know, they're, they're trying to make profit. And I think you know there was some interesting when Instagram first announced that it was going to you know start having ad- running ads. There was kind of backlash from people. But it's like, well, you know there has to be a business model somewhere. Mm-hmm. Do you want ads? Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to pay a subscription fee? I mean, I <laughs> love using Instagram. I'd be happy to pay a fee. You know, same with Twitter. But um, there has to be a revenue model somewhere. Well, how you much know what, would,
2: How much would you pay for Twitter? <laughs> how much would I pay? How much would you?
4: I'd pay, uh, you know, uh, uh, five dollars a yeah. it was five dollars a Months, five dollars a week. I don't, as long like,
0: as it's not, it's not as long as it's not a per tweet charge, I'm good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that would bankrupt That'd me. Would change the whole platform. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, that's so a good. They <laughs> could actually have an IPO and make and show that they're going to have a revenue stream yeah. if they charge per tweet at this point. Mm-hmm. Because I am like a crack addict. I can't let, forget <laughs> it. Could not. But get But that's a of good that.
4: point on um, you know how much you'd pay. I think. Do you know that app to which is you know Swiss Miss Tina Orthaisenberg. She's she she um, she developed this app for her own a uh, to do app called Tudu T-U-X, D-E-U-X. and um, she started offering it out and sharing it with people, and suddenly she realised she had a few hundred thousand people using it. She's yeah. just started charging for it, and and I think I I think I paid. Um, $24 a year for yeah. it, okay? But, you know, I use it every day. It's such a no-brainer. But still, she Cosmary, got backlash yes. from people. She got backlash from people going, You've, we've had this for free and now you're gonna charge for it, you know? And it's, I think the, I think the market sometimes need, the, the consumers need educating that, look, if you value something, you gotta pay for it.
0: Is, it. is it a good business model anymore to go out with a freemium model? I mean, I'm gonna look at you, Courtney, land that one in your lap.
2: Yeah, I think you, you kind of have to put it out for free to get people to start playing around with it. Um, I, I We get asked this all the time. I work with a company called Makeshift here in London where they have about eight products that they're working on right now. And, you know, they, they want to make money with all of them. But in the first three months, you kind of, it's different with hassle because you're paying another person. And mm-hmm. I, and you're not expecting someone to come clean your house for free. Um and I think that's what's brilliant about your business model. But with, with software as a service particularly, you've got you to get people hooked. Um, Evernote is one of my favorite examples of a freemium model that works because you know it's free to use up to a certain amount of uh, mobility and storage. So if you want to have the mobile access and you want to be able to edit your mobile data and you want to have you know, a certain amount of storage, you pay 45 bucks a year. I've offloaded like a quarter of my brain to Evernote, so I'm going to be paying <laughs> for it
1: for like the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to recover from that <laughs> comment.
1: I think I think it's completely true. I mean, we so as a startup, we use lots of startups. We use Twilio. We use HipChat. We use GitHub. I'm trying. I'm not gonna get technical because I'll just embarrass myself. But we and we pay what for what kind more. of database? <laughs> oh, hang on. I know this one. <laughs> <Just kidding>. Postgres or. <laughs> I it's on double <laughs> what are they called i can't remember anyway um but we pay for them all now we started off using them all for free and uh, you know we we pay for everything and because it's proven its value and i think the way to um get people to start paying for this stuff and not stop expecting it for free is to design high quality problem products that solve a problem and a lot of the time the startups that i see in the space they're not they're they're creating a nice to have it's not a problem, they're not solving a problem and I think that's key. There has to be a burning platform for what you're doing or you need to be doing it ten times better than the people that are now doing it and then people will pay. Well, let's
0: take a step back and let's talk about the kinds of things, and Ian, you and I were talking about this before, the, the um, digital opportunities that technology can unlock because some of it is exactly as um, Alex is saying is the technology is solving some problem when we have a tech business, mm. but tech is also enabling some interesting businesses that are not, at their core, yeah. technology businesses.
4: Yeah, I think sometimes when we talk about these things, we think, oh, it's a tech business, so it has to be a kind of tech product. But I think tech as a distribution platform, I mean, you know, a, a, a good, I mean, it's a very small business, it's currently a one-person business, but a nice little example is a guy who a—he's really passionate about beer, and um, he, that was always his hobby. And uh, he launched this side project, kind of a beer subscription club. So you, it was for friends and family. And uh, every month, he would select some craft beers from kind of independent breweries and send them out. And then you'd get some tasting notes with it. And you'd do an online through Twitter. You'd do a tasting session together. And then he realized that he had 1,000 subscribers kind of without trying, really. And he scaled it and then quit his job. And, it's called Beer Bods, and he's now doing it. He's now doing it full time, and you know that isn't a digital business in so much as he's in a warehouse in Gloucestershire, packing up bottles of beer <laughs> that he sends out. Um, and he's that struggle of being the one-person business. He's doing the packing, the marketing, the accounting, everything. Uh, he's about to change that, but but you know he couldn't do that business without digital because that's where the community resides. That's how people hear about it. They then come online on Twitter to share, you know, tasting notes, they hashtag it up, or what do you think of this one, this is nice, blah, blah, blah. So I think, you know, that's a nice example of a very, you know, a very analog business in a lot of ways, but it couldn't, it couldn't exist without digital.
0: You look like you had a thought, Courtney. Uh,
2: no, I know, I, I, I agree with you completely. I think there's, well, that's, that's the whole thing with tech. I mean, there's so many businesses that wouldn't have existed before. Um,
1: yeah, I mean if we had to build our own technical architecture and infrastructure and, you know, host server farms and all that and it wasn't in the cloud, the startup costs would have probably been prohibitive. And and we, you know, we didn't code before we did this. We learned from a book called Ruby on Rails that Jules picked up and said, Ah, I can build this. <laughs> and she did. Um and then she you're making that sound so easy though. <laughs> <laughs> she literally she I don't know if you've ever done it. There's this great book and, and actually one of our customer service um people is now actually on like lesson three and she's managed to build a list and a table and it's just crazy i have no interest in it but they love it um but if we'd have then overcome that obstacle but then had to kind of you know buy server farms and plug it all in together there's no way we would have been able to to do what we've done at all so it definitely is it's you know the barriers to entry are just so low now our infrastructure costs are probably about £100 a month, which is just insane if yeah. you think about it. Yeah. If we go back to when we met, Kelly, I
3: was just yeah. thinking about, you know, actually, we didn't meet on the plane. You didn't tell the truth there. We didn't meet in the hackathon. We met in the bar the night before, oh, okay. uh, yeah. uh, drinking margaritas. Listen watch,
0: listen, watch the podcast from the Meet the Innovators in Chicago. I got a yeah. big heck from people for that <laughs> one. People were
3: not happy
0: that we... Built a website the day before and launched it right before we got on the plane. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> in business and in competition, you take any route to win. Yeah,
3: absolutely. But I mean, that, that, I think that's a case in point. So, so we didn't know each other. We met, we, we found each other through Twitter. We were all supposed to be getting together and, and building something. We had this challenge. We met up in the bar. We drank loads of margaritas. We came up with a good idea. We thought of a name. We bought the domain. We had a 22-year-old amazing student, um, Cassidy, who coded it all. We went to bed, woke up in the morning, we had people signing up. It was just, it was just amazing. That's one of the most amazing experiences in my life in terms of speed and... Maybe, yeah, they, maybe that's another thing.
0: And the key to business success is you need multi-generational and multi-talented <laughs> yeah. and um, you know,
3: multi-skilled yeah, teams. Diversity <laughs> in teams. Which absolutely. is an interesting point. I
2: recently spoke to uh, a Huffington Post journalist who was writing a story on you know tech scene culture and how it's all really really young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's massively important to have diversity on your team. Um, I worked for a team where I was the oldest at 26 and <laughs> like who, I'm in no business to be like mentoring and teaching others at this point like I should be learning as well. Um, now I work on a team where you know, it's a huge age range, and it's just it's an incredible experience. I mean, just you know, little things, um, us- usability features, marketing, like just having that is a, cannot stress that enough. Very important.
0: Well, and is it a, the, why don't we talk about that in terms of being intentional about how you are now building your business from the team that you have around in terms of the resources and all of that. I mean, Sue, in terms of what you're doing with Savify,
3: you know. Well, so we're there's three of us at the moment. Um, we've, I've kind of been aware that I have certain good points and bad points. <laughs> Self-awareness <laughs> is good, yes. Yeah. So, no, but I think you really do need to be self-aware. And, um, you know, if you're trying to run something on your own, it's very hard to do everything. And you need to know what are the things you're not very good at. So I'm not very good at um, putting plans together and sticking to them. I'm, I'm very good at kind of... Let's go over here, everybody. Charge, 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 charge off. And so um, I'm a bit, and I get very excited about things. And so in the team, I'm Pollyanna. Uh, We've kind of decided, because I'm just always enthusiastic about everything, and I rush off and want to get everything done yesterday. So I really was looking for someone who was sort of the opposite, sort of understood what was going on but was like the opposite of me in a way um to be in sort of in at the beginning otherwise oh, it wouldn't happen really grab back absolutely slow me down a bit and um so so that's now claire um who's one of my directors and and she's well so our nicknames are pollyanna and eeyore because she's quite like eeyore <laughs> which i feel really bad about but she just is like She's lovely and she's very fun, but she's kind of like, okay, right, let's just slow down a bit, So Now, what do we need to think about when we're doing this? So we need a plan. We need a plan. We need to think, does this fit with our objectives? I'm like, but over here, over here, look, shiny stuff. She's like, no. No. Does this fit with what we're trying to do? You know, so, so just even with two or three people, right. it still is really key to have people that are that have different perspectives and different strengths. Because if you're all the same, you you know, we'd be, be, be a group of us all charging off to find shiny things around the Apple Store. You know, we, I wouldn't even be sitting here; we'd just be gone.
0: <laughs> Thank God we have the rest of us to pull you pull you back. <laughs> yeah. um, Courtney, let me come back to you. Is it with when you're working with clients? Yeah. Do you often look at them and go, this is, doesn't matter what good work I do, th- th- there's some other things <laughs> that need to change here? Past
1: clients, call they, not
2: current ones. I mean, <laughs> well, we're, we're so young, it's only been seven months we've been working, everyone we started working with, we're still working with. Um, we have like a unique kind of philosophy. We don't call them clients, we call them members. So we look at them more as partnerships. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the original uh, launch date, I said I, I wouldn't take on a member that I wouldn't want to work with full time. Um, we, we've changed that slightly now that we're growing, and you know we're taking on members that are just like super interesting. Um, but no, I mean we've we've been really lucky so is, far.
0: Is that part of your screening in terms of all right if they're members and you know?
2: Yeah, it's it's never going to feel like work if yep. you're so excited, you know, for Monday to come around, you know, so that you can hop back on and hop back into your plans with them. Yep. Yep. I know that sounds cheesy, but like, you know, I'm on cloud nine, so f- it's still the honeymoon stage of the company. <laughs>
0: we'll have you back in seven months. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: and, and see, see what see what happens there. Um, Ian, from all of your talking to entrepreneurs in terms of the team and building their team, because, you know, you can have the best idea. You can actually, you know, have a plan, but if you can't execute it because the team's failing.
4: Oh, absolutely. I, I, think, I think what you're saying, so really kind of resonates because I think often you know, you do get those extremes, those polarizing things where, and you do need that mix. You do need that mix. I think that's the challenge sometimes for, you know, now there's a lot of, because of the things we were talking before about democratization, of a lot of solo entrepreneurs, right? And they might outsource a lot of things and it's really just them. That is the challenge because, you know, however much we can all be one person businesses, you know, you're going to be two heads are better than one, right? You know, I think that's always going to be the case. And I think the challenge is for those guys who are solo entrepreneurs, and they might be super good at execution but crap at planning and hate five-year plans. Well, okay, that's probably all right in that case. But you know, it, I think sometimes that is, that is the challenge. Getting a team together, the, um, you know, the, the values are aligned, their personality collective personality is kind of aligned and they've got all those different skills is, 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 is essential. You know, if you just get people that are like really good planners but crap at doing, then you're screwed. So yeah, you've got to get that mix right.
2: I, I think people's probably more important than product, more important than anything. Because right. your, your, your business and your product will change depending on the talent that you bring in, which is why on every jobs board it says, we're hiring the most talented, <laughs> fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I
0: think the more precise you can be in terms of knowing what you want, right, and what to go out and look for, what's going to add value and, and contribute to your business, yeah. Um, what your culture is, and you know, all of that. Always so,
2: hire people smarter than you.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, mm. absolutely. Or, so, or as a mentor of mine used to say, he, he, was, he would um, hire and train his assassins because he wanted everyone <laughs> who, who worked for him to be better than him, um, and that was like intentional. But he's like, I'm going to hire my assassins. Is it the same team? hassle that you had, it's your other idea that that didn't work.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the idea was just, um, we're doing the same kind of idea, but just attacking it from a different angle. Same team, but we recognized really early on that um, we needed, uh, I, I think what I find difficult is there is no one above me to tell me that I'm doing it wrong or to fix it when it's gone wrong or that has the answers. And and for a while, when you're just kind of looking at each other and going, oh shit, what do we do now? <laughs> um, we realized that we needed sort of, you know, a little gray hair. Um, and we've got some grey hair now, and they're both fantastic, and um, David... I, I got that for you. <laughs> yeah, literally, since <laughs> I've <this>, it's everywhere. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of our um, advisors, David Pritchard, is just unbelievable. He comes in, and he's a bit like Dad. He's like, you didn't do this, you've not done that right, that's rubbish, what are those figures doing? And he, he holds us accountable... And that, I think, is so good for us because we're like, oh, my God, it's the end of the month, it's the end of the month, David's coming in, we've got to do all this stuff. And it really drives us to keep our eye on the prize and make sure that the business is functioning as effectively as it can. And then the other thing we did is we realised that actually over 50 semi-retired women are amazing on the phone and they don't get stressed out with customers. So we... You know, we outsourced a bunch of our customer service to some set, like semi-retirees, and our customers and our cleaners just love them. So, you know, I'm all a big fan, like Courtney says, of you need a broad spectrum of age and diverse backgrounds in your business because it, it actually enriches. It doesn't cu- it doesn't pull in different directions.
0: Do um, looking at both Sue and Courtney, do both of you have formal advisors for your your business as well? Yeah. Put in place right away, or something that evolved.
2: Uh, actually, she, she's the one that made me start the company. <laughs> I, I was at a dinner and I was like, yeah, I, "This is what I want to do." And da, 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 da. she's like, "You're doing it. You're moving into my office tomorrow." Like, you know, it was just like she gave me that uh, kick in the ass that I really needed. Awesome.
0: So, oh. other than all your <laughs> informal advisors who you know yep, tell yeah. you not to, tell you not to be a charity, yes.
3: <laughs> uh, I guess we've had loads of informal advisors, but that's a really good uh, point. We need to get some formal ones.
0: Get that <laughs> formal advisory board. And Ian, from what you've done, research, writing, talking, they, do, do you find...
4: Yeah, I, mean, I sometimes get hands-on and advise small startups. I'm working with a few at the moment. I'm working with an entrepreneur who's just recently quit her job to launch her own startup, kind of one-woman business. And I'm working with a guy who's just like a five-person business. But they just find... I mean, it's that old thing of just having an outsider. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. my experience having done it, because as you know, I'm not, I, I don't have a lot of entrepreneurial experience myself. I have some, but not a lot, not, not recently anyway. But it's just that outsider, that fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. I sit down with this guy who's got a small startup, and you know the clarity I'm able to bring just by saying, had you thought of it like this? And he's like, oh my, no. And it's, you know, anyone could have come along and done that. It's about the value of an outsider. So I think it's important, whether formally or informally, to have those kind of arrangements.
0: And be able to listen to them and take that all in. Yeah. I want to... Um pick up on something you said, Courtney, in terms of your advisor saying, you're starting in my office tomorrow. Let's talk about where people are working um, in this day and age, because that's the other thing besides the nature of starting businesses and the nature of, um, I want to say, starting them and what type of businesses we have and what type of business
2: models. Where are we working? Uh, We work out of our members' spaces often. Dallas, where'd you work today?
4: Sometimes coffee
2: shops in Soho. There we um, go. Yeah, we, we've, we were out, the company we were with, they outgrew, and so we were in an awkward period. But you know, you make it work. I had a meeting where I, uh, I made a member smoothie this morning at my home. It was absolutely wonderful.
3: So, be creative.
0: Be creative so we're we 're located
3: yeah, we kind of work in various different places, so because we're incubated we 've got an office at Bethsell Green Ventures, Nestor in uh, Chancery Lane, so we 've kind of got that as a f- now formal um, what do you call it hot desking space, um, but we tend to meet wherever works really and and the three of us in the team at the moment live close to each other, so we end up meeting in each other 's living rooms. <laughs> Living room but we're kind room. of we're just sort of at the stage where maybe we should have like a bespoke place near where we yep. live rather than just meeting in the living mm. room.
1: Yeah. And where's Hassel? I feel really boring now. We're in an office. <laughs> <laughs> I started up in We've an, an office. You can come and share. <laughs> um, yeah. We're, um, we're 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 growing, so we're you know kind of like nearing the 10 person mark and we've got another startup in there with us and we're always hosting other startups in the office. But, you know, we we did the rounds. Like we've had like six different homes in the last two years. We started at Google Campus and then a great design agency called Us2 took us in for free Oh, they're amazing. Yeah, one of the best things about Shoreditch and that, that area is that when you're in the startup scene, it's all kind of a pay it forward culture. So lots of people did us favours, and now we try and return those favours. And after that, we're on Brick Lane, and then we're in people's front rooms, and now we've got this wonderful office in Vauxhall, which really kind of is exciting. Because it, it, it was like, I grew up, you know? <laughs> I was thinking like, the same thing. It's like, you're growing <laughs> up now. <laughs> I've got a desk. <laughs> I had a picture on my desk. It's like I finally achieved the kind of boring desk space. I don't know. Does anyone... No, you probably don't. I was a consultant before that and travelled everywhere. So I never had a desk. And now I can bring my gym kit and put it in my drawer. And it's like...
0: I don't know. It's just it's cool. kind of like working Stability. girl, I've been vision, vision yeah. of working girl here. Because
1: nothing else is stable in my life. So yeah, <laughs> the desk is like my oasis.
0: <laughs> I would have thought we'd be saying that desk as oasis. Um, yeah. I and mean, we did talk about this for in terms of where people are working. And you had some good yeah. examples and thoughts. Yeah.
4: I, I think it's great that we can all work in coffee shops and work at home. And you know, I, I've always been very nomadic and it's great to kind of cherry pick so... You know, if I'm doing a certain task, I might want to be in a noisy coffee shop. If I'm doing a head down thing, then I might want to be somewhere quieter. But I do think that, um, you know, what is exciting is kind of co-working spaces. I think what happens, especially with one person businesses and freelancers and solo entrepreneurs, when they all come together in co-working spaces, the businesses and the ideas that emerge from that totally randomly, you're not like people say, oh, we're all sharing the same space. Let's sit down and work out a business idea that we can work on together. That, that, that doesn't happen, or doesn't work. Yeah. But what does work is, oh yeah, if only we could do this, and then realizing that you're sitting next to a coder who could do that, and you're next to someone that speaks a number of different languages that could deal with the translation of that, and suddenly you get all these things coming together. And I think I think that is really exciting, and I think that's kind of like the future of entrepreneurship at that kind of micro level of people hanging out with like-minded souls, in. in you know, maybe not traditional co-working spaces like you know a big building with loads of floors with desks. Maybe it's going to be more like kind of coffee shop kind of zone. But I think it's quite exciting what can come out of the kind of collaboration and collision of ideas.
0: Yeah. Well, so sort of words running through my mind is that, so that importance of networks and being able to tap into networks and that creativity that happens when you sit and talk to other people and if you're not in those environments and you sort of think about the old days when someone would like sit in the garage and code or sit in the basement and code on alone I mean it's amazing we got some of the products that we did and some of the technology and the businesses that came out of that whereas now I think yes you're exactly right this interchange is what Part of what fuels us.
2: You need the balance, though. You need... Because, like, I think you'd go crazy working out of a co-working space every day. I think you do need to go in your basement or your garage, or for me, it's, like, my home office, and just have no one around you. Like, just be with your thoughts. Like, we live in such a loud, noisy, busy world, and we're Mm -hmm. always around people. It's, like, a world built for extroverts, and I think that can be, like, quite an unnatural setting for creativity. Yeah, and
0: so in creating that pause in a world which requires us to respond, and as we talked about... Earlier, it's like, all right, iterate, iterate, move rapidly, move rapidly. How do you create, you know, what's better for your business, what's better for you as a business owner, right? How do you create that pause in your life?
2: There's an app that just launched called Breathe. (laughs) It's an invite- (laughs) It remind you to take a breath. (laughs) No, it's an invite-only network, so you can find secret rooms within offices and and companies and buildings that you can go and just have,
1: like, a chill-out time. It, I, how to find wow. the nap room. I get on a train. I don't know about anyone else, but I do yeah. amazing things on trains. Yeah, me too. You, me too. You, you yeah, why is that though? Because the internet's always internet's rubbish. Yeah. So, and it's all, <laughs> you always like, you stick your headphones in and it's the rhythmic motion. It just kind of goes. Yeah, I love yeah. journey. Oh, yeah. And I just like, suddenly I'm like in my own little bubble three and a half hours up to Newcastle and I've, I've written you know, something that I've been pondering over for two weeks, so get on a train. Yeah, I, I completely agree that I'd forgotten that, but I do my best work on a train. We, we did we not of your pitch on the oh train yeah, back Newcastle. Oh yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, that
3: was so funny. We met at Thinking Digital in Newcastle because we both spoke there. And um, and so I chatted to Alex in the evening after our talks and uh, realized how much he knew that I needed to know and uh, we were pitching to bethnal green ventures to be part of the you know their incubation um, session in uh, from like july to september and so i asked alex if she would travel if we could get the same train back so that she could coach me all the way down Fantastic. from newcastle down to london which she did and we got in so it worked so thank <laughs> you alex not
1: <laughs> really not to do with me <laughs>
3: It was all the train. It was all the, yeah. the
0: all that train. It I could have just thought of
3: anyone on the train, right? Well, I'll <laughs> confess.
0: I'm, like, I'm one of those people who like, really likes getting on a plane that there's no Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like, I love that. I can't be reached so I can actually get stuff done. <laughs> but the
4: thing, what, okay. I think what's coming out here is, I think the answer is, it's a mix of spaces, because yeah. that's what works for me. And I think yeah. you're right, Courtney, we can't all be in co-working spaces every day because we're not going to get stuff done. Um, and I think it's having a mix, and let's put trains in that as well, because yeah. that's awesome, yeah.
0: planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay, so I'm going to ask one more question, and then we've got some great folks here from Apple who have got handheld mics, and so if you sort of think of your questions, I'll finish my questions, and then put up your hand, and we'll get a few questions from the audience so it's not just us talking away. So we always talk about the challenges with business and starting a business. What have been some
3: of these surprises? Delightful ones, preferably. How successful our pilot was. I, so so uh, we're running Tech Mums, which is basically taking mums through things like app design, web design, social media. Um, we don't expect them to know anything. They come in for two hours a week for five weeks. And we thought that, that it would be quite cool. And we might manage to kind of change the way they saw things. And when and you, like and you, and you were hoping what these mums would do, with they encourage their kids?
0: And yeah. you just sort of get this waterfall effect. So the, the, so home, the idea
3: is that we target mums. If we want to change the whole culture in the UK, if we target mums... <coughs> then we change the way they see things. So we not only change them, but we change the whole family. And also, hopefully, they all talk to each other. And so we change the community. And, you know, that kind of bubbles up. And basically, we change the whole UK, um, starting with mums. And also, it's great to to get mums in there being kind of digitally savvy as well. Because I think quite often mums are the, are the kind of um, the last people that lots of people think of in terms of, of being that savvy. Um, and so I've forgotten what I'm you talking pilot, about You You pilot. you
2: pilot. Oh, yes,
3: i pilot. You caught the disease <laughs> yes. that the rest of us had earlier, yes. <laughs> in back, so, yeah. so, we're, so we, we, uh, we piloted at Bishop Challenger School in Tower Hamlets and had our like 15 mums in. And uh, at the focus group, they were saying things like, I'm scared of the keyboard, uh, you know, uh, one mum had this massive outburst, saying that she hated technology, and she—it's ruining all our lives—and uh, you know, just, you know, really, really was kind of scared and very negative about technology. Um, but what what happened over the few weeks was was really amazing because. It only took a few hours for them to kind of just completely change the way they thought about it. And basically all we did was started by explaining, you know, anything that needed to be explained, being very kind of uh, open to any questions at all, and just teaching them very basic stuff and helping them to sort of develop their confidence. You know, so since we ran it, um, one of the mums uh, has got a new job because of the course. And I don't know, it's just... um, we had someone filming week one and week five, so beginning and end of the course. And uh, in week five, uh, she came in, Penny came in and filmed them and she said, I can't believe these are the same people. I just can't believe it. She said, they, they're holding themselves different. They're, they're kind of, they just look brighter and sunnier. They're more confident, and she was kind of, because she was filming them in the first week, they were a bit like, oh, don't film me, you know, kind of scared. And, and at the end, they're kind of like, yeah, we did this, and we did that, and I don't know, it's just incredible. So,
1: so that was a lovely surprise. Surprises? Um, Alex? I think, first of all, how um, the amount of people that I have met um, in the UK and the US, actually, that have been so sort of giving with their time for free, just i wouldn't be sitting here now if it hadn't been for just the sheer amount of help we've had and guidance is the first thing and then the second thing is um i've we've got about 250 cleaners spread across london and manchester and i just didn't think i would fall in love with them the way that i have they're (laughs) just remarkable people and um it i wasn't passionate i'm not monica our friends although my husband (laughs) would say that i am um so I'm not, it wasn't like I had this real passion to clean people's homes, but actually I am incredibly passionate about the people that work with us and, and the jobs that they do now. And, and that was a surprise for me. Did it surprise you you had to change your name of your company? Oh, from Teddle to Hassle. Yeah. You know, Teddle meant nothing. And then it ended up being like Tiddle, Tweddle, Tiddle. And it was awful. <laughs> like, I'd ring up and I'd be like, oh, hi, it's, it's Alex. And, and why are you calling from? Teddle. Tiddle. And in the end, it was just like, this is just too bad. We need to kind of give people an idea of what we're about. And we are about removing hassle from your life. So we bought the d- domain hassle.com with a strap strapline Sorted, which kind of gives us room to breathe and expand into different verticals and just, you know, remove hassle. So, yeah, it did. That was a surprise. Yeah. But I didn't okay. love Tiddles, so I'm not bothered. But there's no <laughs>
0: surprise there. Okay, you surprised me that you've not two newsletters. I'm going to come back to the newsletters.
2: Yeah. Six? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, do, we build editorial <laughs> products for our members. So we, we have one for our company. We have 3460 Miles. Um, we're doing one for Fuel, just a mobile app development agency. Uh, we do makeshifts. Um, we're doing one for Rise, uh, which is coming out soon. And I'm, like, blanking on the six right now. I had it earlier.
0: <laughs> no, but um, no, the two that you do for yourself. Uh,
2: so 3460 Miles and Audience, is, our monthly mailer, which is basically member news, yeah. um, a little bit of... But tell the... I'm
0: going to get the number of miles. 30, oh,
2: 3460 <laughs> Miles is... Um, huh? Yeah. So, you know, there's. you've, you've probably heard the... Uh, you know, the importance of starting side projects, which he brought up, Tina Roth-Eisenberg, um, Swiss Miss. She's like the queen of side projects and, um, in, in terms of helping you find a business. 3460 Miles was a side project. I was a journalist. Uh, I started working for General Assembly. I really missed writing. I started a newsletter which basically features a company from New York, a company from London, and a person that uh, calls both cities their home. And so it was about bringing the two cities together, both physically and digitally. And because of this, um, it, kind of, it grew really quickly. And I had people emailing me every day, hey, can you help me connect this, you know, help me you know, introduce me to this person, etc." And I was like, God, I love doing this, but it's like literally taking up my entire morning. Um, how can I possibly spin this out into a business? And, uh, and so that's where Audience.io was, was born. Does, did that interest surprise you? Did that surprise me? No, I, it, it felt like really, really natural. Um, another thing is I had like three or four job offers on the table. So I just turned around and said to them, uh, so you can't really hire me full time, but you can hire my um, company and, and grow with us. And so that's, that's how that started.
4: Very cool. Very cool.
2: Ian, any surprising stories?
4: Um, I, th- I think the interesting thing is the amount of businesses that started by accident. It doesn't really surprise me anymore, I expect it. You know, yeah. The conventional wisdom would say, you know, you've got to kind of really have a think about this awesome business idea and plan it and strategize it. So many people start businesses by accident, you know, it's a kind of random thing, they met someone or something happened on Twitter, they then, you know, then exchanged some ideas and this business started or you know, Swiss Miss, a lot of those side projects you know, started by accident. Uh, Did this start by accident? She, <laughs> I don't know if you can see this, uh, this temporary tattoo. This was a side project from Tina called Tatly, tatly.com. And um, um, they're temporary tattoos. And it started because her daughter came home from a party um, uh, with a really poorly designed, poor quality <laughs> tattoo. And she thought, "Wouldn't I know loads of illustrators and designers. We could make some really awesome temporary tattoos. And it was like a joke. And now it has eight people, full time, makes mm-hmm. money. And, um, Plus
0: all the people employed, people who were making money yeah. because they're designing yeah. the tattoos. Yeah.
4: So, um, yeah, a lot so of businesses knows? happen by accident.
0: So there's surprisingly good things that come out of accidents and bad tattoos that children come home for parties in. Okay, <laughs> so there must be questions.
4: Yeah, hi guys. Uh, it's just interesting that in a world where all these businesses are uh, you know, taking advantage of all this tech, but at the same time, isn't it... Uh, important that all these businesses are also enabled by connecting with all these different people so how would you say that it was important to be surrounded by the right people otherwise the tech wouldn't really make it for you guys yeah for example you were saying the the importance that you went to this us two office and then you know met all these people and maybe got all this free time from these people so how, how much is about tech and how much is about the right people around you
1: I mean, really, really simply and quickly, because I don't want to hog the mic, we would not be here today if we hadn't have joined this thing called Springboard, which was an accelerator, much like uh, Sue did. And the reason we wouldn't be is it gave us the validation or the it gave us courage to leave our jobs to do this thing. But then it kind of opened the door to all of these people that we were introduced to. So it was like this big networking fest for like 12 weeks. Um, and the idea behind is Accelerator is you accelerate your business as much, if not more, as you would do normally in the real world for 12 months. And that is absolutely true. So to your point, um, the two things have collided, I think. And, and they're, it's difficult to give more weight to one or the other. But I think they're two massively key ingredients that without cheap tech, for want of a better expression, and without, you know... A mentoring network. I think you'd probably find people hard pushed. There'll always be the Dyson people that you know, furry away for years and years and years, and then woo, make a billion-dollar company. But I think those garage stories are getting fewer and far further between.
0: I think well, all of us have met because yeah, relationship and network. Yeah. Well, we met because of Springboard. Uh, yeah. John Calden.
1: My entire
2: business is built on relationships. So. <laughs> <laughs> there would be no business, regardless
0: yeah. <laughs> of excellent technology.
3: Uh, yeah, I, w- I would just agree. It's all about the people, really, more than that. You can always find someone who knows the tech if you don't, you know, I mean, but if you don't know the people, what are you going to do, really? Beautiful tech that's not responsive to the people
0: is yeah. not going to do anything either. I so. think
2: reading's really important, too. Like, like, like staying up to date with, with the industry news and tech scene, if quote unquote, um, is something you can do from your living room for the nights so you don't want to go to networking parties.
3: <laughs> so how do you recover from failure? Because I built the most epic company. And then I didn't realize its vision. And I finally have mustered up the courage to start a new company. But I don't have my spark anymore. And um, I'm even traveling for four months right now offline, hoping to regain my spark. And I have, I can't find it. So how do you recover? I'm, I'm, like it's a long process. This was years ago that I,
1: I don't like using the word. Well, I do like using the word failed, but I try to coach myself not to. <laughs> so I just didn't realize my vision. So how do you recover from failure? It, I, for me, it's like dating. Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> you know you. So good. <laughs> Wait for it. Um, I think first of all, stop looking for your spark. It's like, it's, <laughs> know, seriously, like, it's like, I, I always say this to my girlfriends. that are like, I'm never going to find a man. And I was that person, you know, a few years ago. And actually, when I stopped looking for a man and I started focusing on me and what made me happy and doing the things that I enjoyed, I got my confidence back. And then suddenly, you know, there were men. And it was like, wait. <laughs> so if, I think you should stop looking for your spark and stop trying to heal what's happened in the past, and just focus on you right now and what makes you happy, expand your mind, learn new things, and you may recover that zest for entrepreneurship.
3: I love that, actually. that's really. I haven't thought about it in that way. I mean, that's technically what I'm doing, but I still didn't look at it in that perspective, so thank you. Well,
1: good luck. I hope you find it again. Meditate, <laughs> yoga, kale juice. <laughs> kale juice. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think we have time
0: for one last question. Um, if someone's got one, we're ha- oh there we go back to the front row. Fantastic.
1: This question's for anybody really, but especially maybe Courtney. What do you get? What do you think of the business model of building your audience first, then refining a feedback loop of communication, listening to what they're responding to, and then developing products? Because I know. A lot of people, as you said, go in their garage, start developing products, but they haven't actually listened. So what do you think, especially in information publishing, so...
2: What are they listening to?
1: Um, well, what do you think of the business model of, d- you know, developing, like, an email list first and then... How, with,
2: how would you develop that?
1: Um, well, by giving away something for free, basically, yes. and to your sweepstakes um, company? Not sweepstakes. No, 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 some free information, information marketing. Okay, so you yeah. want to
2: be, like, media company first?
1: Well, basically, information and training... Um, in, in certain
2: city. I think it's an awesome yeah. idea. I mean, that's literally what I did with 3460 Miles, right? You know, you have an editorial product that's completely free. You pull in your users. You build a you know, an entire community out of that and listen to their needs. I, I, I like it. You know, we're doing that with startups now. Like we're growing them in tandem with the product. Um, but we're responding so much to the users and building new products and changing products based on their needs. Um, this has been
0: fantastic. I would like to thank my panel. It is a pleasure to see you, all of you off Twitter and <laughs> off email in real life. I mean, imagine the real people. Good to see you again. So thank you all. Thank, thank you. you for your insights. Thanks, thank you for being here and part of this first Meet the Innovators in London. And thank you to our audience. Thanks for the questions thanks and coming so out tonight. Yeah, thanks, guys.
3: Thanks.